Hello. It is Tuesday, not Sunday, and normally I preach my sermons on Sunday, uh, but this week our recording got messed up, so I'm going to preach this last Sunday sermon today here on Tuesday afternoon. So if you were here and you're re-watching it, you'll notice I don't look anything like I did on Sunday, and that's okay. There's a word that I hear a lot that drives me crazy. There's a word that I just can't stand, and it is the word deserve. I hate the word deserve. Uh, it's a word that we hear all the time, and people think, uh, you know, we think back to the 1980s and McDonald's and their, their theme, uh, their slogan, you deserve a break today. You deserve a break today. What have you done that you actually deserve to take a break? Has any of us solved any major problems, world hunger, anything like that? No, no, no. You deserve a break today, though, so go to McDonald's. Um, I hear people say things like, uh, when somebody wins $300 million in the lottery in the Powerball, oh, they're a really good person. They, they really deserved that. They deserved to win $300 million in the Powerball. Does anybody ever deserve to win $300 million? What have you done in your life that could possibly cause you to deserve $300 million? I think about a story from Luke's gospel uh, that took place with Jesus. And uh, in Luke chapter 7, verses 2 through 5, it says, A centurion's servant, whom his master highly valued, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Did you hear that? This Roman centurion, this person that they normally wouldn't have anything to do with, this Gentile, uh, had made a big offering, had donated uh, toward their synagogue, and therefore he deserved to have Jesus heal his servant. He deserved it. It, it goes along with this sense of entitlement when we think that we deserve something, when we deserve to be treated special, when we deserve partiality, when we deserve favoritism. We hear it in the church, too. We'll hear people, and they may not say, I deserve to have my way, but they'll say things like, I've been a member here for 60 years. What's behind that? I deserve to have my way. I'm, I deserve favoritism. I deserve partiality. Or they'll say something, I'm one of the biggest givers in this church. I'm one of the biggest givers here. What does that mean? I deserve to have my way. I deserve to be shown special favor. I deserve partiality. We want people to play favorites. I know I want God to play favorites. I wish God would play favorites with me. I want to be one of his favorites. I, I want special treatment, special favor. I want partiality. I think about my own life and some of the difficulties and some of the things that I've been through, some of the hard times that we've had. About nine years ago, my house was eaten by termites. That was hard, eight or nine years ago. It was, it was a hard time. It was a difficult time to go through. I think about my wife and her disability. 
And I, I, I get frustrated with God because I, I feel like I'm doing all the right things that I should be doing. And I should be getting better favor. I, I should be getting better treatment. I, I, sh- I deserve better, right? After all, I'm God's little cheerleader here on earth. Yay, God. Go, God. Telling people about Jesus, getting up preaching every Sunday. For 19 years I've been doing this. And then things don't go right, and, and we wonder what's wrong, and, and I deserve better than this. I deserve better. We all feel that way, I think, from time to time. We'll all think that I deserve better than what I'm getting, that life isn't fair, that it's not fair that somebody else should have uh, an easier time, that it's not fair that somebody else should not have to struggle as much. We don't say it, but we believe it, that we want God to play favorites. But the fact is, God doesn't play favorites, and neither should we. In the church, we shouldn't play favorites. We're going to look at a passage from James's letter as we've been studying here at GFCC. We've been studying the book of James this fall, and we're the sermon series is called Where the Rubber Meets the Road. And it's all about the intersection of faith and life and how these two uh, come together and how we live out our faith on a regular daily basis in a practical way. And one of the situations that they were facing in the early church was favoritism. And we read about this in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And so today I want to just take a look at this passage and take a, take a look at some other passages of Scripture that, that talk about uh, favoritism and how God doesn't play favorites, and neither should we. So I want to look at first at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, And a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? One of the things that they were experiencing in the early church was guests, visitors would come in and people would make a judgment based on their appearance. To show favoritism in the Greek, it's a, a, an idiom that, that means to uh, appreciate the face, to notice the face. That when you look at someone and say, well, look at that guy. He's wearing a three-piece suit. We should give him the place of honor. We should give him a, a special seat. We should give him a special place. James says that when we discriminate, we become judges with evil thoughts. It's not our place to judge in that way. It's not our place to show favoritism, to show partiality. Because God doesn't play favorites, and neither should we. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 through 18, it says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. God shows no partiality. He accepts no bribes. How many of us have ever tried to bribe God with an offering? Lord, I will put an extra $5 in the offering plate. An extra $5 in Abraham Lincoln. I'll put an extra $5 in the offering plate if you'll answer my prayer the way I want you to. 
if you will show me some kind of favor, if you will show me some kind of partiality, if you will show me some kind of favoritism, Lord, just I, an extra, I may even do an extra 10. We try and bribe God, but we can't. He accepts no bribes. He shows no partiality. He shows no favoritism. God doesn't play favorites. And neither should we in the church. In those days, they would meet around a table. They would have a, a, a small gathering in a home. And uh, if a guest would come in, they would make that judgment and say, well, you know, this guy looks like he's a man of influence, like he's got power, like he has money. And they may give him an elevated seat or a, an extra cushy seat. Whereas a poor man walks in in shabby clothes, and they say, well, you can stand in the back. Or you can sit here on the floor but by my feet, but no cushion for you. They were showing partiality. They were showing favoritism. James says, don't do that. It's a sin. God plays no favorites. 1 Peter 1.17 says, And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. Romans 2.11 says, For God does not show favoritism. In fact, in fact, God has a special place in his heart for the poor. In the previous passage that we looked at last week, James says that true religion is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Those who are oppressed, those who are marginalized, those who are experiencing injustice, those who are poor, those who are weak. God has a special place in his heart for them. And we should too. We should not look down upon them. We should not discriminate against them. We should not be prejudiced against them. We should not show favoritism against them in favor of the rich or the powerful. We do not show favoritism because God does not show favoritism. I want to continue in verses 5 through 7 of James chapter 2. It says, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not drag the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? We tend to look down on the poor and think that they are weak and powerless and they can't do anything for us. It was the same way in James's day. The poor had no rights in the Roman society. They couldn't sue a rich person, but yet a rich person could exploit and sue a poor person and would slander the noble name, James says, to whom they belong. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. James says that God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. And let's face it, when you are going through a hard time, when you are struggling financially, there's only one place to turn, and that is to God. And you have to put your faith and your trust in God alone in order to know that, to know that He is going to provide, that He will take care of you. Your faith grows the poorer you are because you have nowhere else to turn. The rich man or the rich woman says, I don't need God. I have everything I need. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I can do whatever I want. I have no need for anyone or anything because I've worked for all this myself. James says that the poor man is rich 
in faith. And Jesus said that the poor will inherit the kingdom of God. In uh, Luke 21, verses 1 through 4, it says, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Jesus notices this poor widow. God takes notice of the poor. He does not discriminate against the poor, although it may seem like he is. It may seem if you're poor, if you're struggling financially, it may seem like God is against you. That is not the case. God notices you. He sees what you're going through. He knows what you're going through. God notices the poor, and so should the church. The church should take care of the poor among us. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew 25, 35 through 46, I want to read that. Matthew 25, 35 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. God notices the poor. He does not lose track of them. He is not against them. God notices the poor, and he wants the church to notice the poor as well. He wants us to take care of the poorer among us. That's what the early church did in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. It says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Could you imagine if that took place in the church today, if someone came in and said, I have a vacation home in Florida that I never use, and I think I'm just going to sell it, and I'll give it to the, to the church to help those who are in need. Or I have, the, I have extra stock. I, I've had a really good year uh, in the stock market, and I don't need, I, I'm never going to, I have more than I'll ever need to retire. I'm going to sell a bunch of stock and give the money to the church and let the elders decide who, who could benefit from it the most. But we don't do that. We don't take care of each other like we should. 
we need to do a better job taking care of the poor among us. I want to close out this passage in James by reading verses 8 through 13. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In verse 9, James says, If you show favoritism, you sin. You You have become a lawbreaker because the royal law of love found in Scripture, given to us by the King of Kings, the royal law, he said, is to love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew 22, verses 36 through 39, Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus equated loving God with loving people. He says, this is the greatest commandment, and the second one is just like it. It's on equal footing. You can love God, but if you don't love people, you're a lawbreaker. If you show favoritism, you're a lawbreaker. You may as well go out and murder someone. Please, please don't go out and murder someone. You may as well go out and commit adultery, and don't do that either. But if you're going to break one part of the law, you are a lawbreaker. And whether that, is, that law is murder, adultery, or not loving your neighbor as yourself, you're a lawbreaker guilty of breaking the law the good news is is that god sent his son jesus to die for our sins and all of our sins all of our trespasses all of our law breaking can be forgiven but it doesn't give us the right to do it we are not to show favoritism not in the church not amongst ourselves we do not show favoritism because what does james say if you play favorites you sin God does not show favoritism. God does not play favorites, and neither should we. So we've got to figure out what we can do about this and how we can help the poorer among us. Uh, one of the things that we have here at GFCC is the Benevolence Fund, and we've helped a bunch of people this year in a bunch of different ways with medical bills and with prescriptions and with uh, NIPSCO bills and putting people up uh, in our apartment, putting people up at hotels, uh, who needed shelter. We've bought grocery gift cards and things like that. And our, pl- our funds are depleted for the year. So we're going to take up a special offering coming up in the month of October to replenish our benevolence fund because we really want to help the poorer among us. We don't want to enable people. We don't, we're not putting them on the payroll, but we want to help people in their times of crisis and need. And so we want to do that. We're going to take up a special offering in the month of October to help replenish that fund. Another thing that we're going to offer coming up in January is Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University course. And we want our people, if you struggle financially, if you have a hard time making ends meet, we want you to take the Financial Peace University course. Now, it's a little pricey. It's 100 bucks for the course materials, but that covers your whole family. Uh, but at, at the same time, uh, we want to make it affordable. So uh, two things. One, if you can afford $25 a month, we'll take four payments of $25 for the next four months, October, November, December, January. We'll take four payments of $25. Uh, 
uh, and that'll cover your course materials. You'll be ready to go. If you can't afford $25 a month, please talk to me or talk to one of our elders or talk to, uh, call the church office and let us know, hey, I can't quite afford the $25 a month. We'll work with you to try and get that paid off uh, so that you can take this course so that you'll be able to be a better steward of your finances. You can get out of debt. You can manage your money better. You can uh, contribute to GFCC better financially so that we can help more people follow Jesus because that's what we're all about is helping people follow Jesus. And one of the ways that we want to help people follow Jesus is in their finances. So those are two of the things that we're going to do. Uh, but also one of the, the last thing that we need to do is we need to be aware of each other's needs. We need to talk to each other, and we need to communicate our needs to one another. And that means dropping the pride. Because let's face it, when we struggle financially, the last thing we want to do is broadcast it to the world. Say, oh, I'm struggling financially. I'm hurting financially. Uh, uh, I can't put food on the table. I'm having trouble making ends meet. No, we tend to kind of clam up and say, I'm going to pull myself up on my bootstraps and I'm going to do this myself. The fact is, is that we need to help each other and you need to allow us to help you. And so if you have a need, if you're struggling financially, make someone aware of it or make the elders aware of it. And let them know, hey, I'm struggling financially. We will do what we can to help you, but not just throw money at your problems. We want to provide financial counseling as well so that you don't get back in this situation. You know, if you're coming back to the church every two months because your NIFSCO is about to be shut off again and again and again, well, you keep getting back in that same situation. We're not going to throw money at that problem. We want to help you get out of the situation that you're in and provide financial counseling for you to be able to do that. You know, God doesn't play favorites, and neither do we. It doesn't matter what you drive up to in the church building, and if it's a Rolls-Royce or a 1977 AMC Pacer, we're not going to play favorites. It doesn't matter if you have a, a closet full of fashions or if you have a, a one outfit that you wear all the time. We're not going to play favorites. It doesn't matter if you wear diamonds and pearls and lots of jewelry or if you have a single gold band. We're not going to play favorites. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how big your house is or if you live in an apartment or if you're living in a cardboard box. We're not going to play favorites because God doesn't play favorites and neither should we. So when you come in through those doors on a Sunday morning, when you come into this church building, when you come in uh, to give your tithes and offerings, when you come in to worship God, we're not going to play favorites. We're not going to show favoritism to anyone based on how much they give or, or where they live or what their job is or what they drive. We're not going to do that. In fact, I have no idea how much anyone gives except myself. I know what I give, the 10% of my income that I give, and I'm the only one, who, I'm the only one uh, that's the only one whom I know how much they give. I don't know how much anyone else gives, and I don't want to know. The elders don't know how much anyone gives. They don't want to know because we're not going to play favorites. And we may be tempted to uh, do things a certain way in order to appease a certain crowd so that they'll keep giving or they'll keep attending. We don't want to offend that family because then they might stop coming or they might stop giving. It's not what we're about. God doesn't play favorites, and neither do we. So it boils down to, to, to this. When we play favorites, James says that we judge without love and mercy, and that is sinful. God promises that he will judge without mercy if we judge without mercy. But if we will love others as we love ourselves, we will experience God's impartial and unconditional love and mercy in our lives. And that's what we want. 
We want God's unconditional love and mercy in our lives. And so we need to show that unconditional love and mercy to those among us, including and especially the poor. So my challenge for you today is to sign up for Financial Peace University. Continue to pray for those among us who are poorer and who need your finance, and, and pray that they will come and get the financial help that they need, and that they will get the financial counseling that they need in order to make ends meet and, and to get along better financially. And in all things, don't show favoritism. We need to be impartial. We will not play favorites here. No matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done, we're all on equal footing at the foot of the cross. Father God, I thank you for this chance to preach this word again, and I pray that, Lord, you will help our church family uh, to continue to reach out to those who are in need, and that we would willingly and joyfully help those who are in need. Be with our leaders, give them the leadership and the guidance that they need in order to make impartial and fair and just decisions, uh, and that we will not play favorites, God. And we thank you that you do not play favorites that you do not favor the rich over the poor, that you do not favor a certain group over another, that you do not favor a, a certain ethnic heritage or a certain gender or a certain age, that, Lord, you love everyone equally. You love the whole world equally. So, God, we thank you today for your word from James, and we thank you for your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.